Secure Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full informed investment decision. This is your money, your wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMV. Now, here's Joe Anderson and Big Al Clopine. Joey Anderson here, Certified Financial Planner with the big man, Big Al Clopine. You're listening to Your Money, Your Wealth. Uh, well, here's on the docket today. We're going to start the show with a little quiz. Big Al has six questions he wants to ask everyone to make sure that you are prepared for retirement. Also, we want to get into IRA stuff, Roth IRA conversions, RMDs, things that you should consider if you do have a retirement plan because the end of year is uh, shortly approaching us. And if you have a retirement account, there's some things that you need to know. Um, if you are a certain age, to avoid a pretty big penalty, 50% um, excise tax, if you will. And, of course, we have email questions, and uh, we have no guests today, Alan. So, you're kidding. It's just you and me for hours and hours and hours? <laughs> just I just got exhausted. <laughs> this is really disappointing. It is. So, let's get to it, because we have a lot of things to get through. So, uh, let's let's start here, buddy. What do you got for us? Okay, Joe. I'm going to start with uh, these are uh, these are six questions. Do uh, you think you're prepared for retirement? Answer these six questions. So here's here's the first thing. Have you explored downsizing your living expenses? Living expenses in retirement uh, may be between 80 to 100 percent of your pre-retirement living expenses. By gradually downsizing your spending. You could significantly cut your monthly expenses without feeling the shock of adjustment. Joe, this is a little bit like a retirement rehearsal. In other words, when you run the numbers, and uh, maybe for many of you that have saved a lot of money, you can actually spend more than you're currently spending, so God bless you. But if not, if you run the numbers and you're going to have to spend a little bit less and you still want to retire, why not try spending a little bit less while you're still working and make sure you can actually make that happen? Well, I thought you just said you got to downsize your house. Downsizing your living expenses. <laughs> I wasn't even listening. I know you weren't. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> I was like, all right. Wait, wait a minute, Clopine. You're not talking about the house. Well, well, I mean, that's one thing that they can do to reduce their spending because their housing expenses could be a little bit rich. Yeah. And they can. And I think a lot of people that have families or had families, they have a bigger home than maybe they need through retirement. Maybe it's a two story. And maybe some people want a one-story, and you know, maybe they want to live closer to the kids. Maybe it's a cheaper area. That Whatever. is so hard to do, though. It is hard. You know what I mean? It's it, like, it, and you know, we talk about that all the time, Joe. But the stats say, I, I don't have it in front of me, but something like 85, 90 percent of the people that retire end up just staying, staying in their home. in their home. Yeah, we did a webinar. Oh, look at that trans transition. Wow, wow. <laughs> are you already selling? <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> to do, uh, <laughs> I talked to. Uh, Jamie Hopkins, he's like he's the, the, the chair professor at the American College when it comes to retirement income planning. Yes, and so we we had a nice little hour chat about using home equity. Got it. And um, d different things that people can do there, and it's a most people want to stay in their home. I mean. When you think of it, that's where you have all your memories. Right. Right? Sure. It's like, okay, well, here, this is where we had our, you know, it's the holiday season, Thanksgiving. Yeah. And, you know, the kids grew up here. And, 
you know, to, to lose that. And, yeah. and now I think when people get older too in retirement, they're, that's the home base. So the kids move out of the house, you know, they might move out of state, but when, when it comes to the holidays, they always want to go back to mom and dad's. Yeah, they do want to go back. And plus, I mean, that's where your friends are. Maybe if you go to church or you have an organization you volunteer with or whatever activities you got buds that you play golf with, that's, that's, that's where you want to do it. Now, unless you don't like your neighbors, you know, maybe then it might True. be, might be a good time to move. It's <laughs> yeah. like, finally, the kids are out. I've always hated the neighbors. We're going to sell the house tomorrow, Mabel. 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 <laughs> All right. So um, I would say a lot of individuals, I would say most, need to reduce their living expenses. They need to figure something out because you can't work forever. The stats say that half of people are forced into early retirement sure. uh, due to either a health. Um, the, the number one reason is health issues. So it's not necessarily your health, right? It could be your spouse's health, an aging parent. It could be a child or whatever. Um, so I think there's dress rehearsal. I think you said it well, is people need to start doing that to say, all right, well, can I live off of pretend that here's my assets, here's my social security, here's my pension. Can I live up this type of income? Right. And try it before you actually leave your job. Exactly. But no no one does that. I know. Right. They'll be like, no, no, we'll we'll be all right. You know what? We're living off of 200,000 today. We can easily live off of 50,000 bucks in retirement. So let's just kind of keep with the status quo. Right. So here's another question. Do you have a clear game plan? So you you know you may have a general sense of how much money you need to retire, but are you truly uh, you aren't truly ready to retire until you understand what it means in day to day terms? So, I guess it's comparing your retirement number, Joe, to your anticipated monthly expenses and make adjustments as needed. And there, it's just doing some simple mathematics. And and I I would say ninety five ninety eight percent of the people that we meet that come to our office have not done this these simple mathematics, which is. How much am I spending? Let's start with that. And if you don't know what you're spending, then take a look at your net paycheck. And if you're not saving any money, then maybe that's what you're spending. Right. And I think there's confusion there, too, because you might think, hey, I'm making $100,000 a year, so I have to replace that $100,000. And that right. is not necessarily the case. Because if you look at it, well, how much money are you saving in your 401k plan? Sure. Right? So yeah. you've got to take that off the table. Then there's FICA tax that you're not going to necessarily pay unless you work part-time or consult or something like that in retirement. But your retirement plans, you don't have to pay FICA tax. So that's another, what, 6 7%. Right. Um, and then your travel to work, right? You're not driving. So gasoline might go down a little yeah, bit. Eating, so you, eating you, lunches you, out, things like that. Right. So you yeah. look at that, you subtract that out, but then you have to add addbacks. Addbacks. Like what are you going to be doing with your time? You got to play golf more? Well, right. that, that's not free, right? So you got to consider and, that, yeah. right? And then I think a lot of times when people retire, of course, they have a lot more time. And so they do different things such as, hey, maybe we should remodel the kitchen. Let's. We've always wanted to do this with the bathroom. Hey, we should paint the house because you're there staring at it right most of the time it's i need like, a new computer it's I like need... wow this carpet really is pretty bad <laughs> i didn't even notice this shag carpet that we've had for 40 years it's uh yeah it's just we gotta we gotta fix if we're gonna spend more time in the home let's fix it up right and of course the spouse that wasn't working is was saying i told you that yeah, yeah, 25 exactly. years ago <laughs> now you want to do it <laughs> yeah finally right but that's so figuring out your spending and then comparing that with your fixed income. So that's Social Security. It's pension income. 
rental property income if you've got that. So let's see where you're at. And for most of you, you're probably spending a little bit more than your fixed income coming in. So there's a shortfall. So now you're going to compare your shortfall to your savings, right? And is that a... In other words, if you need $20,000 per year... On top of your fixed income. On top of your fixed income, and you got a million bucks, let's divide 20 thousand dollars into a million that's a two percent distribution rate that's probably pretty good we'd probably like you to be somewhere around three or four percent depending upon your age and depending upon a bunch of factors well, I'd much rather you be lower than that sure but uh, <laughs> but we have to be realistic too yeah if you <laughs> yeah, are, two, are like if me. you are two percent you're you're probably golden you're probably already right. yes depending now, on how you're now on the other hand you got a million bucks you think i'm set for life but you need to pull out a hundred thousand a year for that, well, that's 10% distribution rate. That's not going to work. It's not going to work throughout your retirement. Yeah, it's just simple arithmetic that I think a lot of times people don't do. So, Yeah, Joe, another one is uh, where are you on your debts? Understand how much you owe, uh, how much longer you need to work to get your debts paid off. But as far as your mortgage, you don't necessarily have to pay off your mortgage when you retire. You just have to have a monthly payment that you, you can afford. Right, if you think about it. You know, there's, you know, we'll get emails and calls on this for sure. But I think having a mortgage or debt in retirement is not necessarily the end of the world, because if you refinance to a 30-year fixed, that payment is fixed for the next 30 years, and you have a let's say a few hundred thousand dollar mortgage. Well, that payment's going to be fairly low over right a couple thousand bucks. Yeah, that's not going to increase. It's not going to increase yeah. right in 20 years from now. I mean, a loaf of bread is going to cost more than your mortgage, so it might make <laughs> sense to lock that thing in. Yeah, exactly, Joe. And so let's see, what else do we got? Uh, we have, um, have you considered the different types of income sources available in for you in retirement? We talked about Social Security. We talked about pension plans. But how about your investment portfolio? How is it invested? And is it invested towards your goals or your needs? And this is where a lot of people get confused. They go out and pick investments without considering what their portfolio needs to do for them. Right, and I think a lot of... Um problems is that they're searching for yield is that all right well here i need to generate income so i'm looking for a higher yield on my overall investments and so they might get into products that promise a fairly large yield but they don't understand the risks associated with those types of products because they're looking for the return or the yield to get them the income that they need today but they don't understand that maybe down the road that investment might be totally wiped out because of whatever risk that that investment was taking to generate that type of yield so it's looking at your entire overall situation to make sure that you answer a few different questions, real simple questions, to make sure that you're doing everything appropriately. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Welcome back to the show. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson here. I'm a certified financial planner with Big Al Klopine. He's a CPA. Thanks for tuning in. Go to our website, purefinancial.com. Here's a couple of different things that are coming on the pike at our firm. We have a tax planning end-of-year workshop coming up December 6th in San Diego and December 10th in Orange County. Uh, you can go to purefinancial.com to take a look at that, to register, purefinancial.com. Uh, it's a couple of hours. Big Al and I are going to talk about end-of-year tax moves that you want to make sure that you look at to see if it applies to you. And then we'll look at Coming up here, what's going to happen to the overall tax code? We have a new president. We have a majority in the House and the Senate that are all uh, Republicans. So there could be some tax reform. There could not be. Um, Who knows? But we can at least tell you what are some of the ideas that Capitol Hill is kind of throwing around and to make sure that you're prepared. So you don't want to make up 
make any like false moves, right? Because the things that you can control is the amount of money that you pay the IRS, and you want to make sure that you can control that as much as you can. So Al and I will spend a couple of hours uh, educating you on what you need to know moving forward. So go to purefinancial.com for that, or pure tax class, I should say. Wow, that's uh, even more specific. Yeah, Very pure good. tax class. Pure tax class, P-U-R-E tax class. And Joe, we talked last week a little bit about... Um, some of the things uh, that Trump would like to change with regards to taxes, but how about things that won't change? I got a list of things that probably won't change when it comes to taxes. I would say the biggest people that are going to be affected if any of the changes come through is going to be small business owners, right, corporations, and people that have a ton of money. Yes. I if you're making that. about $500,000 a year or if you have an estate larger than $10 bucks. Those are the people that are really going to see some changes because if they re- repeal the estate tax, right, there could be a $10 million um, exemption. So for stepped up in basis, uh, corporations, right, they're looking at lowering the corporate rate for all corporations. Uh, the ordinary income tax brackets, Alan and I have looked at this multiple times. And for people that are, you know, making a couple hundred thousand dollars or less, it's probably not going to have any dramatic impact, yeah, um, depending on if they have kids and things like that. It'll be a couple of bucks. but sure. It's it's uh, similar, Joe, and, and it's interesting because that the 12% bracket that Trump would like to put through basically replaces the 10 and 15% bracket, so it's kind of just an average. And then the next bracket is 25%. That basically replaces the 25 and 28. So it's it's... It's not that dramatic, and, and some people, depending upon if they have children or their head of household status or any number of things, could actually end up paying a little bit more tax. Uh, I would say the majority of folks will have a little savings, but it's not like it's going to be tens of thousands. I mean, you might save a 1000 bucks or something like that. Sure, but then the top bracket, 39.6, goes down to 33. Yeah. Uh, so that could have some pretty big impact on very high-income wage It, it does, and the biggest one, as you said right at the onset, is probably the corporate tax, which right now the C corporation tax, the highest rate's about 34% and uh, for, 35% for large corporations, that tax rate would go down to 15%, which would be a tremendous difference. And, and so in some ways that, you know, I don't want to editorialize too much here, but in some ways that could be good for our corporations in that it would, it would make them more likely to want to keep the business here in the United States and therefore create more jobs in the United States. And I even read, Joe, this week that certain foreign corporations, if this happens, are now considering moving their headquarters to the United States, which would help us in jobs. So it's not it's not necessarily a bad deal, although, boy, that would be a pretty dramatic change in corporate taxes. Right, and then that's a lot less tax going to. So, Correct. I mean, you can look at it any You can that look you at want. it both ways, exactly right. Uh, but, Joe, there's a few things here that won't change, probably. One is that uh, the definition of income, everything is still income whether it's salary, whether it's pension, whether it's rental income, interest, dividends, lottery income, gambling income, all that's still income. So that's very unlikely to change. Now, the tax rate could change, but the fact of how income is being calculated is one thing that will likely stay the same. Another thing is the 1099 forms, which you get if you're an independent contractor, those will still be very applicable and will really count. And the IRS, it, by the way, gets those. Uh, you get those, uh, and so, do the, so does the IRS. IRS does a very good job of matching 1099 income, always have. And so that's not going to change. You're not going to get away from paying taxes on your income that you earn. It's just part of the, part of the fact of the matter. Mm-hmm. Another one would be... Uh, 
beware of foreign accounts. And right now, Joe, if you've got a savings account that reaches or investment account that reaches over $10,000 in aggregate at any time during the year, you have to file a special IRS form. It's called a FBAR, F-B-A-R. And so that form is... Uh, it's a hassle to file it, but, but it's a requirement. And if you don't require it, the penalties can be pretty large. And, and to date, in the last few years, when the IRS has been cracking down on this more and more, there's been $10 billion collected in penalties from offshore accounts. So that that is uh, very unlikely. So my Swiss account? Yeah, you, you, need to, you need to report that now. If you file an F-bar... <laughs> How much would you charge as a CPA to file my FBAR? I don't know. I'm, luckily, I'm not preparing tax returns. I I have seen them. They're they're not that simple. I would imagine. That. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of ridiculous, but that's what we got. Uh, another one. How would many s- people do you think filed the FBAR? I don't know. One in fifty, <laughs> if that. One in a hundred. <laughs> do you? You file you yeah, file your FBAR? I file my FBAR every year. <laughs> FUBAR. Uh, how about this, Joe? Uh, if the uh, re- reply to every IRS letter, unless it says not to, <laughs> this is common sense, uh, and it's uh, it's not going to change under Trump. It's, hey, I got a question for you. I um, got audited, right? It was on my um, Roth IRA conversion. Right. It was just a letter, you know, hey. It was a letter audit. A letter audit, right? Yeah. Because I converted $5,500 of a non-deductible IRA. Right. And I didn't... Um, or the, my tax preparer didn't file the correct eighty six oh six form. Okay. Right, it was just saying, hey, there was basis in the form, and right, so they wanted a couple of extra dollars just because yeah. they saw that it, they thought it was a distribution, sure, or, um, or a, a conversion a of a non deductible IRA, right. Okay. Or a, a, a conversion of a deductible yeah, IRA. I know what you meant. In other words, that you should have to pay tax on Correct. It. But yeah. since it has basis, I don't have to pay tax on it. Right. And so... Um, he, uh, I guess, you know, filed the right forms and everything else and sent it to him. Then I got a letter, or not a letter, or it was like a certified mail, right? So, you know, the little, it was like a little sticky thing on my door. Hey, please go to the post office because I had to sign for it. Got it. Right? I'm home maybe like seven minutes out of the week. <laughs> and so and I'm like, well, who's this from? I mean, why wouldn't they just put it in the mailbox or, lay, you know, leave it on the doorstep? And then I looked at the sender was from the IRS. So... Um, I didn't make it in time to the post office. Why would they send me that? Because I got a letter from them saying, hey, you owe another $500 or something stupid like that because of the conversion. And then so he, my CPA was telling me that he was like, well, maybe that was just a letter to, to confirm that everything was all right. <laughs> but well, if it's when, certified, I'm yeah. like, what the heck is this all about? Well, when they when they send you a letter requesting more taxes, they they want to make sure that you got it, and they want to make sure they have proof that you got it, so you have to sign for it. That's well, how about if I never happens. signed for it? I don't go to the post. I don't even know where that post office is. I just moved. <laughs> well, they don't take kind kindly to that. They'll keep trying to send it to you, but uh, if it's if it's a big enough dollar amount, then they're actually going to show up at your house. Five hundred bucks? Well, not yeah, probably not for that. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I, I, uh, there was a period of time, Joe, I used to have a CPA practice where I prepared returns, and there was a period of time where I had my office in my home. And, uh, and then, but then I would have other jobs that I would do, so I wasn't always home. And I'd get these certified letters. They were for my clients, and I was never home. Same, same as you. Same, right. same problem. And, uh, and fortunately, uh, well, I probably shouldn't even say it, but my postman, who I knew, just signed it for me. Oh, boy. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> How, right. <laughs> However, um, 
What was I going to say with that? I, I was going to say, I, I bet you my postman thought I was a tax evader because I yeah, just, you got just got all these letters, <laughs> letters all the time. <laughs> got to take a break. Show's called Your Money or Walk. Now back to Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 AFMB. Welcome back to the show. Hopefully you're enjoying your weekend. Uh, my name's Joe Anderson. I'm a certified financial planner with Big Al Clopine. He's a CPA. Uh, we work for a company called Pure Financial Advisors. You can go to our website at purefinancial.com. A lot of great videos, a lot of information, educational stuff. If you uh, are curious about anything financial, uh, you can go to that website, purefinancial.com, and I would imagine there's some resources there to help you out. What um, What else do I got? Yeah. Continuing on. Yes, with this. <laughs> <laughs> on, on things that will likely not change with the IRS, even under our new President Trump. Is this president elect? President, well, yes, president elect. Mm-hmm. So, do not talk to the IRS if they visit you. So, when they come to my house for that five hundred bucks, I just don't answer the door. You can answer the door, but uh, just if they, mute. If they come, just be your, a mime. If they come to your home or business, get business, some paint face, wipe it. Just be a mime. That's the suggestion. Have some get paint a striped shirt right next to the front door. Paint your face and pretend you're a mime. And you don't speak. <laughs> that is perfect, Joe. Best best advice I've heard all week. So uh, here, here's the thing: is 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 if they come to your home or business, decline to speak to them and tell them your lawyer will call. Why? Because if they are coming to visit you, it's probably not pretty good. <laughs> pretty serious. <laughs> they don't have a lot of resources, so they're going to send their agents out to the ones they think they really have an issue where they're going to collect some major tax dollars. So if they show up at your house and you weren't expecting it, yeah, just don't talk to them. Get your attorney involved. Got it. So good advice, right? Yeah. Or become a mime. <laughs> mime. <laughs> I hate mimes. Yeah, they're scary. I don't like them either. They're, they're, just not, they're not scary. They they're just scary. annoying. What? They, they scare you? Yeah, mimes and clowns. <laughs> I don't like either one. They freak. I mean, if you just turned around and saw one like right on top of you, be freaked out. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I like so, the mimes that, you know, they pretend they're drinking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, and they, they can't, pretend they, that they're drunk. They, oh. they can't. They can be funny. They can, but you know, I'm kind of freaked out by. <laughs> anyway, so I get asked all the time, Joe, how long to keep records? Keep your records? Do you know what the uh, advice is? Keep your tax records? Well, three years. I'm, I'm not talking about your mind paint. <laughs> talking about your tax records. The mind paint lasts about a year, and then it dries up. <laughs> It gets a little chalky. It gets. It doesn't stick right uh, after about a year. So, uh, what do you say? Three years. You got to keep your records, right? That would be uh, one answer. I guess it's wrong. Here's the here's the recommendation: is at least seven years. It's eight years. Okay. Whatever. Seven, eight. I get close. <laughs> Just keep saying numbers. <laughs> I know. Right? Don't you get one. Twelve. So uh, here's why. Because the IRS uh, statute of limitations is three years, which actually three years wasn't a bad idea, except that they they have three years after you file, so you have to keep it an extra year because you filed in the following year. But uh, but if you understate your income by 25% or more, so that's substantial understatement, the IRS can go back six years. Got it. So you got to keep those records, they say, to, to, be, to be safe uh, for seven. But keep your tax returns forever. 
your records you can jettison after seven years, but keep your actual physical tax returns or or scan them, put them on PDF, it doesn't really matter, but keep those returns forever because sometimes there's things that may pertain to something 10, 20, 30 years later, such as... Your Social Security? Well, yes, yes, that's a good example. If, you, if you're ready to retire and you realize, you know what, gosh, 25 years ago, I, I know I made more than that. You can show them on your tax return that you made more than that, or maybe you... Uh, bought a rental and and sold it on a 1031 exchange and you need that for old basis, basis information yeah, sure. or and you know any number of things like that if i'm just a straight w2 employee working at vons still want me to save that thing uh yes <laughs> <Okay>. lifetime <laughs> <laughs> but you could throw away your w2s after seven years got it if you want to all right and uh for you joe where your your tax preparer makes a lot of mistakes on <laughs> yeah. your tax return <laughs> Uh, avoid amending returns, uh, but if you do amend, don't cherry pick. Don't take amending tax returns lightly because amended returns have a high audit rate, especially if they request a refund. Mm. So an amended return is you filed your return and you realize, whoops, I made a mistake or my tax preparer made a mistake, so we're going to go ahead and amend that tax return. I'm actually going to tell you don't avoid it. Go ahead and do it. But think twice about amending a return if it's some if, it, if it's for something really minor in terms that's only going to benefit you in a minor way, and you've got a couple items on there that are a little bit gray, you might not want the IRS kind of looking at that very closely. Who would have anything gray on their tax return, Al? Uh, Joe Anderson. <laughs> I do not have anything gray. <laughs> Black and white. Black and white. File your tax returns even if you can't pay. Many taxpayers don't file their return because they don't have the money to pay the tax, but you'd be, be much better off to file in time even without paying because if you don't file in time, besides a late payment penalty, you have a late return filing penalty, which is actually pretty significant. So go ahead and file that return even though you can't afford to pay it. Then you can work out a payment plan with the IRS. Now, uh, if you do get audited, uh, don't uh, explain too much. Just answer the questions. And when you prepare your tax return, just uh, keep your returns concise. It's okay to have disclosures, but keep them succinct and avoid adding things that are not necessarily required. Why tell them any more information than you have to? Uh, be careful with uh, big refunds, because if you're getting a big, giant refund, then the IRS is more likely to want to look at your tax return. If you uh, request to apply it to next year, there's a chance that it may not have quite the same scrutiny because it's not money out of their pocket. Sure. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so these are things, Joe, that will uh, likely not change, even under the, the new Trump administration, President-elect Trump. Uh, and who knows what's going to happen, right? Because his presidency will start in late January. And as you said, he's got a Republican-controlled Congress and Senate. Now, the Senate uh, has 51 uh, Republicans in it. Um, so it's, uh, it's a majority, but it's not a supermajority. A supermajority would be 60. 60 yeah. And because it's not a supermajority, that means the Democrats have a right to get in front of the, the whole Senate and give their point of, of, of opinion, point of view. And then there's this thing called a filibuster, which is they can talk and talk and talk and talk to where it, it never gets voted on. That's what a filibuster is, by the way. And so the Democrats can do that, as the Republicans did in the past eight years. 
So it's kind of now we're just kind of switched parties, but uh, that's what a filibuster is. I'm sure we'll do that for another eight years, and then another eight years after that, and another, another eight years after that, and yeah. probably another eight years I did after notice, that. did you read last week that the Republicans who used the filibuster so uh, to their benefit over the last eight years now want to get rid of it because it's not what the taxpayers want? That makes sense. Now that me. they're in control. Sure. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> it all works. Um, all right. <clears throat> Next segment, we're going to get off this politic train, <laughs> please. And um, and then I got some strategic moves to lower your tax bill, Al. You do? I do. We're still staying on taxes, then. Well, yeah, I think it's important because it's fact. Especially this time of year. Yes. We want to reduce our taxes. Yeah. Got to take another break. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the program. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Uh, my name's Joe Anderson. I'm a certified financial planner. I'm with Big Al Klopine. He's a CPA. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, check us out on iTunes, uh, Your Money, Your Wealth. On iTunes, uh, you can subscribe right there. Um, and then our podcast will come to your device every week automatically. We'll just pop up, Big Al, right there, talking taxes. Just, just like that, huh? Just like that. Modern technology. Amazing. It's crazy. Yeah. And so with the podcast, if you are um, listening on a couple of, we have a two-hour show, and I know some of you only get an hour of it. The podcast is the best of. Best of. So it's only, what, this week? It's pretty short. Pretty short. <laughs> so it'll it take depends. you about eight minutes. Some, some weeks it's, uh, it's about an hour. Other weeks it's about eight minutes, <laughs> yes. depending upon if there's anything good. And I think this week we're going for a record. <laughs> So. Worst show ever. Right? Could be. Could be. Um, all right. Here, I'm going to give you some quick tips um, for end of your tax planning. Uh, just some real simple things that you can do, but I know most of you probably won't do them. Okay. One right. of them is tax loss harvesting. Okay, that's a good one. <clears throat> right? And so what is tax loss harvesting? Let's say if you have a loss in a certain position, you sell that, you buy something similar. Those losses will offset any future gain. So, or if you sold an asset that had a gain, a capital gain. So these are assets outside of your retirement account. It could be a stock, bond, mutual fund, whatever. As long as it's a capital asset that's outside of your retirement account, if you sell it at a gain, you have to pay a capital gains tax. Most of you, it's 15% plus the state that you live in. However, if you have a capital loss, so you have another investment that is down in value, that loss will offset that gain dollar for dollar. It is significant. When you start planning this long-term, most don't want to hassle with this, Al. Did you know that? Yes, although I would say a lot of people that understand this rule actually do it in December. They take a look at their gains, and then they try to figure, if they have some losses, they go ahead and harvest those losses against those gains. So I think that's, that's somewhat commonly done by people that have been investors for a while. I think it's like it's added value to your overall account. It is. And, and so people will go nuts looking for the holy grail of investment, right? I mean, if you just have a mediocre investment, I don't care what you have, but if you tax manage that thing, it's going to make it above average return on your overall investments over the long term in most cases. Yeah, I agree with that. And and the problem with what I just said is is for folks that do tax less harvest that 
tend to do it in December. Well, December, the market might not be down. Right. right? So and the so, markets are volatile. Right? right. This year, we had the, the beginning of the year. Remember that? That was the we best time to harvest We had oil. January. We had all this other stuff right. that was going on. Yes. So we have markets are volatile. So it's just taking advantage of that. And look at, I wish people would start with the taxes, then go to the investments on an overall big strategy of what the overall t- after tax return is going to be. Right. Because they will sell assets and then they'll try to find something that's going to produce a better return. So they're like, all right, well, here, these large companies, I'm going to sell those and buy this. Or these international companies are no good. I'm going to sell that and buy all U.S. Well, certain asset classes are in favor of certain periods of time in a cycle. So when you see people, it's the, the, this recency bias, right, which kills a lot of individual investors. Is that, all right, well, what happened recently is going to continue to happen in the future. And they miss out on big opportunities because you want to buy low, sell high. And when it comes to tax loss harvesting, you can do, but you're, buy, you're selling low and then buying low. So you sell an asset class, such as, let's say, international stocks have done poorly. You sell those. You take a little bit of a loss there, but you buy another international-type fund, ETF, index fund, whatever that you choose. You still have the same portfolio. It can't be identical. There's certain rules, and there's some technicalities that go along with that, but I think you get the gist of the conversation. Then those losses sit on your tax return, right? So for ordinary income, you can write $3,000 off ordinary income. For a lot of you, that's a couple of bucks, right? 1000 bucks, 1200 bucks. That's not bad. Sure. But then the bigger bang for your buck is that you continue to harvest these losses throughout the year and throughout the years. And so now you have some losses on your tax return that will offset against future gains. And when it comes time for you to start pulling dollars from that overall, let's say, taxable account, well, a lot of that money could come to you tax-free because you have losses that you built up against those gains that will net out dollar for dollar. So it's a, it's a huge strategy, but I think there's... Well, there's a lot of confusion, Joe. And I think and it's just like, well, it's too much work. I well, don't wanna... and, and a lot of people will come to us and say, well, wait a minute, Joe, Al, come on. You only get $3,000 of deduction per year. And that's, that is true if you don't have any other capital gains. You do get to take $3,000 of loss against what's called ordinary income, like salaries, interest, dividends. But a capital loss is offset against another capital gain dollar for dollar. So let's just say you had a position that went down by $50,000. You, you spent 100000 for it, now it's worth $50,000. You sell it, you've got a $50,000 loss that shows up on your return. Same year, you sell another stock or position at a $10,000 gain. Those offset completely. Now you have 40000 left over. The IRS says, oh, we'll give you another 3000 that you can use against ordinary income, and we'll take the rest of the last 37000 We're going to carry that forward next year, and we're going to go through the same test again. You sell another stock with a $20,000 gain. You got this $37,000 loss carry forward. You net it together, dollar for dollar. You pay no tax. And by the way, we live in the state of California. They have the same rule. You don't pay any capital gain in California as well. So if you add up the dollars, it could be significant for a lot of you. So it's just tax managing the uh, the portfolio appropriately. And then to piggy, piggyback off that, asset location. So if you don't have the right asset location, it's going to be pretty difficult for you to do some tax loss harvesting. True. And asset location is looking at what asset classes that you hold in each account. So you might have a tax-free account, such as a Roth IRA. You might have a tax-deferred account, such as an IRA or a 401k. And then you have your taxable or brokerage account. Each of those accounts are taxed differently. 
Your Roth IRA is tax-free, so any dollar that comes out of there, you don't pay a diamond tax. Your tax-deferred assets, those are going to be taxed at ordinary income rates. So depending on how much money that you pull out of the account is what's going to determine your tax rate. Your taxable accounts is a capital gain. could be 0%, 15%, 20 24% roughly. So you have to understand the taxation of the assets that you hold in which account that you hold them in. And so then you want certain asset classes in those different accounts. So if you think about it, all right, well, I want some stocks and I want some bonds and I want some cash. Well, if I'm equally weighted in each of those different pools, such I have the same amount of money in tax-free accounts, I have the same amount of money in tax-deferred accounts, and the same amount of money in taxable accounts, which I've never seen before in almost 20 years of doing this. So it's a hypothetical, strange example. <laughs> it's totally crazy hypothetical. <laughs> but it, it illustrates what I'm trying to point out here. Okay. If I want stocks and bonds, right? Well, I would want my bonds in my tax-deferred account. I want to depress the growth of that account. I want my asset classes that have a higher expected return, such as my stocks. And then you can get even a little bit more sophisticated. Maybe I want a little bit smaller companies because over time, smaller companies have outperformed larger companies just because there's more risk. So maybe I have my smaller companies or maybe emerging markets in my Roth account because I never have to pay tax on those dollars. So my high growth, I want to be tax favored there. My taxable account, same idea, same concept. I want more volatile asset classes there because it's taxed at a lower rate. Plus, if those assets go down because I am taking more risk, then I can tax lost harvest those particular assets. So it's just being a little bit more tax savvy in your overall scheme of things, right, to make sure that you get the best after-tax rate of return. Yeah, Joe, and that's something that you want to be doing all throughout your career so that when you get to retirement, now you've got assets in all three pools and you're concerned about what you're keeping. You know, of course, you're concerned about your rate of return, but you can maximize what you put in your pocket just by investing certain asset classes in certain pools. All right, we'll be right back. Show's called Your Money or Wealth. 